0: Welcome to the Positive Impact Podcast, where we dive into the world of movers, shakers, and changemakers, creating a positive impact on the world. This is your host, Alexandra Black-Pollock, and together we're going to tackle real issues, discovering how we can make the world a better place. I'm incredibly excited for today. I have the world's leading expert on the welfare of cattle and pigs joining me, Dr. Temple Grandin. As an animal behavior expert, she has designed humane handling systems for half of the cattle processing facilities in the world. She's a world-renowned animal rights consultant, autism activist, 2010 TEDx speaker, and one of Time Magazine's top 100 most important people from 2010. While the accolades continue, I think we have a great idea there. Dr. Temple Grandin, thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to be here. I'm curious, what first motivated you to study animal welfare?
1: Well, students get interested in things they get exposed to. And I got exposed to beef cattle when I was 15, when I visited my aunt's ranch. And when I was getting my master's at Arizona State University in the early 70s, the cattle handling was just awful, you know, back in the bad old days of the 70s. And so I went around to all the feed yards in Arizona and saw that some facilities worked better than other facilities. And when I first started, I thought I could fix everything with a facility. If I could just build the perfect magic facility, everything would work. You know, there's a lot of things I can do with facilities, but you also have to have the management. You know, the facility is worthless unless it has the management to go with it. And you know, when I started working with McDonald's audits in in 1999, uh, that forced a lot of the big packing plants to start the management component of animal handling.
0: Obviously your role in helping McDonald's redefine the industry around animal treatment was monumental, but I'm curious, what kind of response did you get from those facilities prior to McDonald's stepping in? I found people were often very willing to buy the equipment. Selling the equipment was easy.
1: You know, my equipment now, uh, center track strainer system is in um, half the cattle in the, in the whole U S are handled in this equipment in the big plants and getting them to install the equipment was easy. But getting them to operate it correctly and maintain it, that was the hard part until the McDonald's it started. And they forced people to fix broken equipment and to handle cattle much more quietly. You know, that's the management side of things. The other thing that made things work is I developed a very simple scoring system. The plant had to get five scores right. In other words, everything had to be completely dead when it was hung on the rail. They had to um, shoot 95% of those cattle with a single shot, and if they missed one, immediately reshoot it. No more than 1% of the cattle uh, falling down anywhere in the facility. Uh, no more than three cattle out of 100, 3% to be bellowing in the, in the uh, stun box area. And they had to get 75% of them through the entire facility with no electric prod. You know, previous to this, they were probably using an electric prod five times on every animal. But they had to make their numbers. It was very, very objective. So when we first started this, the plant knew exactly what they had to achieve. And the good news is, is that out of 75 plants, only three had to build something expensive in order to greatly improve. And the first thing they had to do was fix broken equipment.
0: I'd love to step back just for a second And when McDonald's came to you, what were their goals with this audit?
1: Well, originally, when uh, Bob Langer at McDonald's first came to me, uh, they wanted to, we looked at some stuff with the chicken handling in the very beginning, and that required a lot of improvement. And again, I took the same approach. Let's measure things like broken wings. And when we first started, you know, five or six percent of the birds had broken wings due to rough handling. And... We started measuring it, and they they really quickly improved it. You manage things that you measure. It's sort of like traffic rules for the meatpacking plants. Can you imagine what the freeway would be like if the police uh, never you know caught you for speeding? But the police measure the speed. They don't just think you're driving too fast. They actually measure it, and they measure things like alcohol levels in your breath. That's measured. You know, you manage stuff that you measure, and having this very very simple audit. Um, actually really helped the trick in designing the audit is to figure out what are the five most critical things to to score and we found that one uh, really good measure was uh, bellowing right in the area where they shoot the cattle into captive bull because if you're doing things that are bad like having them slip on the floor or maybe the gun is broken or they're poking with electric prods or they're slamming gates on them or some other bad thing you're going to have a lot of bellowing and some plants are really really bad back in the old days and, uh, and they had to do a certain performance. We did not tell them kind of build facilities. No, they, the, the cattle could be slipping on the floor, either due to a slippery floor, or maybe they were getting them too excited.
0: What you described there, I believe, is one of your five pillars. Is that correct? Well,
1: it's five things you score. You score a percentage of animals uh, totally insensible and unconscious on the rail. That had to be 100%. And then on Stunning, if they were really excellent, they'd shoot 99% on the first shot. The pass, the, their minimum passing score was 95%. And when we first started, some of the plants had broken equipment, and it was just terrible. They'd be lucky if they got 80% of them right. Vocalization scores were bad. There were some places 20 30% of the animals moving their heads off because they were slamming doors on them or hitting them with electric prods. Now, the bad old days were really bad. You go on a plant now, Now they've got video auditing on it. It's really, really quiet. People have stopped yelling and screaming, and, you know, there's been huge improvement. But what this auditing program forced the industry to do was to start managing their facilities. You know, before, yeah, I could sell them a really nice system. And back in the bad old
0: days, half my clients tore it up and wrecked it. Now that that discouraging. Well, now they fix things. What do you think... Describe that change that really pushed them to actually maintain these standards and their equipment.
1: Oh, uh, getting kicked off the McDonald's approved supply list had a lot to do with it.
0: And and
1: about two plants got kicked off the approved supply list. The whole um, um, industry found out about it and they started to get really serious. You know, it's changing management attitude. And then also out of the 75 plants originally, three plant managers had to be fired
0: because they just – didn't think animal welfare was something that was serious. From a business standpoint, what happens to a company when they get kicked off the McDonald's pre-approved list?
1: Well, they can't sell our meat to McDonald's. And if they're off the list, uh, you know, you're talking about a million, um, two million bucks a year, you're talking about um, a lot of money here. And money motivates. But the other thing that made it work is it was extremely objective. When we did these audits, you'd have the plant manager there, I would be there doing audits, and the um, uh, McDonald's representative was there. And so everyone could see what the score was. And then we'd get back to the conference room and we'd figure out easy ways to fix it, like non slip flooring, add a light to the entrance of a chute because animals are scared of the dark, uh, get electric prods out of people's hands, uh, fix uh, slippery flooring, fix broken non bolt uh, guns, You know, it's a lot of simple things that add up to a big thing. And most of the plants, we were able to get them working really well without rebuilding, you know, huge expensive structures.
0: Back in the early days, what you described as the battle days, were there any early adopters and facilities that charged ahead and embraced the change?
1: Yes, yes. The thing that kept me going all through the 70s, 80s, and early 90s when things were really bad is there were some people who did things right. And that's what kept me going is there was about 20% of people that actually did things right. And that was the, I, so I knew that it was possible to do things right. That kept me going during the bad old days. But then the bad places were really, really atrocious. I mean, uh, it's just night and day how things have improved uh, in the plants in this country.
0: What were some of the resistance you got from those, quote unquote, bad plants? What were their arguments to not change?
1: Well, some of them just couldn't see. You have to get them over the mindset of like stuffing too many cattle on, into the crowd pan, uh, yelling and screaming. The first thing they had to do is get people to stop yelling and screaming at livestock and get the electric pods out of their hands. And it takes management commitment to change. You see, it, it, I, I have found it's not so much an employee training issue. You've got to have management that cares. Then another thing that we learned, is there was about 10% of the employees that would not change. Well, those employees had to either leave or get other jobs in the plant because there were certain people that would not put the electric prods away. And it was about 10% of the people handling the livestock had to be removed. And out of the 75 of the original suppliers of beef and pork both, about uh, three plant managers also had to leave because they just didn't get it. Yes, they're the right people. Now, once you get the right people and you fix that, then you've got to start step-by-step step fixing the problem with the equipment. And I was amazed at what I could do with changing lighting. Add a light to a shoot entrance. Because you've got to remember, this: a lot of this is indoor equipment. And when it's indoor equipment, you can change artificial lighting. Many times it's not going to work in something that's outside. So we change lighting, move a light to make a reflection go away, put up a solid panel so they wouldn't see people walking by, Fixing flooring, we get a lot of that. Putting non slip flooring in high traffic areas like the truck unloading ramp.
0: A lot of these things you're describing are very unique to the way cattle perceive things. How did you discover these things that scared cattle or that cattle were uncomfortable with?
1: Well, that started out when my first work, you know, in the, in the 70s. When I first started, I'd get down in the chutes and see what the cattle were seeing. And when I first started doing that, people thought it was crazy. I said, Well there's a rope hanging down. There's a coat on the fence. They're barking at the pickup truck that's parked next to the fence. And you move the truck and then they go through it. Detail, little detail that we tend to not notice, cattle notice. Now if you're out on a ranch and you wait long enough, yes, they'll eventually walk by it. But you might have to wait a full you know couple of minutes and you know high speed plant, you gotta just keep going. But I found that if you take out these distractions, especially in a slaughter plant situation, they would move up the chute more easily. I have seen situations where just a paper towel, loose hanging off a roll, just waving just a little bit would stop cattle. A paper towel would stop the cow. A paper towel just was, you know, hanging down from a roll of paper towels. We wow. were in. I was in a plant just last year, and we were doing auditor training there. And someone had tied a roll of paper towels to the handrail, and the cattle wouldn't come up into the crowd pen. And I went over there, and I took away the paper towels, and then everything worked fine.
0: That's crazy, something so simple. But unless you took the time to notice it, you would have never been able to see the impact.
1: Well, and then that same plant, the cattle didn't want to come out of the the crowd area and enter the single-file chute. And it was because the gate was jiggling. And I stopped the gate from jiggling, and then they went in.
0: So simple.
1: Well, it's detail. It's very small visual detail. And I find the trained people who see this, I have to give them checklists. I have to give them long verbal checklists of things to look for.
0: So all of these changes, for the actual plants themselves, how do they improve either the quality of the meat or just the bottom line for the business?
1: Well, in pork, if you get pigs excited in that last five minutes, you know, poking them with electric prods, getting them squealing, getting them jamming and shoots, you're going to get more pale, soft, watery meat. And in cattle, poking them with electric prods in the last five minutes can produce tough meat. And now those are scientifically validated findings. And if you want to read some more of my stuff, I've got um, grandin.com, my website, And I also got a video online, beef plant video tour with Temple Grandin and pork plant video tour with Temple Grandin.
0: I'll definitely make sure that we have all of those links in the show notes so our listener can watch some of the incredible stuff you do as well as your 2010 TEDx video, which I watched earlier this afternoon. It was just incredible, by the way. (laughs) So from your first battle days with McDonald's, how has the industry changed till today?
1: Oh, the industry is a very different industry now because finally when they got forced to do it, you know, some of the people now are really, you know, starting to see the light. It's been getting to be a lot more interest now in handling animals in a much more low stress way. You know, a lot of ranchers and feed yards have gotten much better in their handling. In fact, my student, Ruth Wollewody, just two years ago did a big survey of 28 feed yards and looked at cattle handling and there were some really good improvements, you know, like Low electric prod scores, like 5%. That's really good. And uh, they've improved a lot. And one of the things about being around for a long time is I can remember how bad the bad old days were. The 80s, early 90s, just absolutely terrible. I'm not saying things are perfect today. They're not. But they're way better than what they used to be.
0: What would this conversation around animal welfare been if McDonald's hadn't stepped in?
1: Well, McDonald's uh, uh, really was a pioneer on this. When it comes to slaughter plants, they're sort of like the pre-McDonald's era and the post-McDonald's era. You know, previously, I found I could sell equipment based on, well, I could take out a man. I think I can cut down bruises. I found that even, you know, over the years of selling equipment's easy because too often people want the magic thing that's going to solve all their problems rather than wanting to do the details it takes to do really good management. You know, good equipment makes good handling possible, but you've got to have the management to go along with it.
0: And then the company to support that management and empower them to make the right decisions on the floor.
1: Well, absolutely.
0: (laughs) So what issues are you working to tackle today?
1: Well, right now, when I see a problem at the slaughter plant, it's something I'm going to have to fix at the farm. So I tend to go out to the unloading ramp and see what kind of problems are brought in. And there's still problems with some dairies bringing in um, emaciated, uh, very bad-conditioned dairy cows. There's about a third of the dairy industry that's really, really progressive. And they're now breeding a smaller cow. that gives a little less milk, but she'll last three or four years of milking instead of just two. But there's still a segment of the industry that just um, lets a cow become an emaciated wreck before they bring it in. Um, that's a major problem. Other problems is lame animals are coming in that's difficult walking, um, cattle that might be super wild, uh, pigs that have never had people walk through them get very difficult to handle. But when the problem comes in now, it's something that's going to have to be fixed back at the farm.
0: What are some types of solutions that we can anticipate happening at the farm?
1: Well, there's you know areas of things that need to be improved. Now you get issues. Where the type of housing that animal is living in. Yeah, that's going to be expensive to place, especially in egg laying um, chickens and in, and uh, um, you know, gestation stalls themselves. And in fact, McDonald's just came out with a ruling that they want to get cage free within, you know, 10 years. I mean, the consumer is going to be demanding some things with housing. But at the plant, the kind of stuff I see is, um uh, animals that are very lame have difficulty walking dairy cows that are very lame, beef cattle that are lame. Some of these problems might be feed additives. Some of the problems also might be uh, just leg conformation. You know, you over-select reduction traits, then uh, they might be, their legs might be too straight. You know, they've got leg conformation, the structural issues. You know, I've got to have an animal that can walk so I can handle it.
0: So having almost 30 or 40 years in this industry... What do you anticipate happening in the next 15, 20, or 30 years in animal welfare?
1: One of the things I'm concerned about now is what I call biological system overload. You know, we've had things like avian influenza that destroyed 11% of the total egg supply. Uh, We had uh, porcine epidemic viral diarrhea that destroyed 9% of the baby piglets. You know, diseases coming in and wiping things out. You know, what we have to start thinking about in all these systems is what is the optimal production? The really progressive dairies have learned that a huge cow that only gives you two years of milking is a lot less profitable and good than a cow that's a little smaller, a little less milk, but still lasts for three or four years of milking because it takes you two years to produce that that dairy cow from a young calf. I'm, what is the optimal production? You know, rather than just pushing things to the max. I think that's what we've got to look at, you know, to make things a lot more sustainable. Sometimes people don't see that they're getting into a problem.
0: So as a consumer and somebody who personally eats meat, what are the types of things that I should be looking for in the industry or even things I should be concerned about?
1: Well, the slaughter plant the USDA, in the last five years has gotten much more strict. You know, and if you were to go on the u s d a website, you'd think the plants were terrible because they have this website where every time a plant sort of gets a regulatory speeding ticket, it's put up on the on this website and if you were to look at that, you'd think the plants were horrible but if that website had existed twenty years ago, it would have been ten times worse <laughs> uh you know the amount of stuff that was uh, going along you know now I think that the biggest issues are gonna be you know issues on the farm i'm I'm concerned about uh, pushing animal genetics too far, over-selecting for, for single traits. I'm concerned about that. I, I, you know, Fortunately, some of the progressive dairies are backing off of some of these huge cows that um, don't last very long. And I think that's a good thing. There's some progressive dairies doing that, but then there's some other dairies that are not progressive at all in what they do.
0: As a consumer, is there anything that I can do to help support these progressive dairies?
1: Well, you might, you know, one of the problems you've got with milk is that everybody's milk mixes together in the, in the milk uh, processing plant, and and so you might have a big co-op, and you've got some dairies in there that are really good, but the milk mixes in with all the, you know, the bad ones. You know, there's a segment of the dairy industry that really needs to clean up direct, and and but I was very pleased with Ruth's study on the 28 feed yards that she went to in Colorado, Kansas, and Texas, because of... The handling, that's one bright spot. People have improved handling. But then as we improved handling, we're having more problems now with cattle with sore feet and lameness, and some of that's due to pushing too hard with feet additives, things like beta agonists, pushing that too hard, or simply breeding for production traits and not examining cattle to make sure that they're structurally correct in their feet and legs, because you have uh, badly built feet and legs they get lame.
0: Even though we've accomplished so much in the actual livestock or slaughterhouse facilities, it sounds as if we still have a long ways to go.
1: Well, there's things, still things we need to do on the farm. And there's, there's people out there in farming, you now that are doing things really right. You know, people often think big is bad. What's bad is badly managed is bad. And that can be either, you know, big or small. And a lot of consumers now are really interested in, you know, local. If you look at some of the consumer survey data, Local is one of the top, um, top concerns. You know, there's a lot of people doing out there doing a good job, but then there's some people out there that are still not doing a good job. You know, where I'm seeing now, I think that things in the future we're going to need to work on out the farm, and, and, the, and our guideline that we had, the scoring system, the American Meat Institute guideline for the slaughterhouses, we had a really good strict standard. But the problem we've had on some of the farm standards is some of the worst producers get on the committees and water down the standards. See, that did not happen with the standards we used for the McDonald's audits. They had a tough standard that uh, they had to adhere to.
0: Fascinating. Well, Dr. Grandin, thank you so much for all of your incredible work. Uh, Just in animal behavior and welfare and Everything that you're doing to help create a better environment for the animals that we consume.
1: Well, one of the things I'm doing now is I do a lot of talks with, um, you know, students in animal science. Uh, You know, I want to encourage young people. We need a lot of good young people getting into agriculture.
0: It's definitely an underlooked at area.
1: Well, it gets back to um, people asking me how to get involved in my career. I have found a lot of students. They getting exposed to things when they're in high school is how they get interested in different careers. And and we need, you know, good students out there that work on all kinds of hands on things.
0: Definitely space for a lot of innovation and some creative solutions like what you created through with the McDonald's.
1: Well, I have a book I've done called Improving Animal Welfare A Practical Approach. It's a textbook. Improving Animal Welfare, a Practical Approach. The second edition just came out in 2015. And then I've also got some, you know, uh, more just popular kind of books like Animals Make Us Human, Animals in Translation, and a book on cattle handling called Humane Livestock Handling.
0: I'm excited to check those out.
1: Okay, well, good.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining me this evening.
1: You are very, very welcome.
0: What an absolutely fascinating look at all the different issues that go into slaughter plants and animal welfare and how many times they can be addressed by something as simple as let's put proper flooring in the facility. Absolutely incredible. If you want to learn more about Dr. Temple Grandin and all the work that she did with McDonald's, head on over to our show notes page at positiveimpactpodcast.com slash episode 6.5. To be part of the bigger conversation and be inspired every day, join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash positive impact community. Until next time, keep doing your part to make the world a better place.